Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. Today we talk about freedom, what it is, why it's important, and what it means to hold freedom as a spiritual principle. Welcome back to fucking cancelled. Welcome back to fucking cancelled. And so before we begin and before we get into the episode, we have some announcements. We do have a couple of announcements. One, which I'm quite excited about, is that we finally have fuckingcancelled.com. Yeah, I think we might have mentioned it already, but we want to drive it home to the listeners because we're quite proud. <laughs> it took us a long time, you know? Yeah. And also, like... It was, like, weirdly complicated to There get. was an insane chapter of our lives in which cancelers bought fuckingcancelled.com and, like, redirected it to a harassment website. So we're very happy that we have that now. Yes, yes. <laughs> um... Yep, they paid for that for one year, yeah. and then it expired, and we jumped on it. Yeah, so, so now we have it. So go to fuckinghandle.com, and that will take you to our Substack, yep. where we have moved. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Substack is cool, and it has um, you know all the episodes and some bonus content for paid subscribers. And you can sign up as a free subscriber and um, get notified when a new episode comes out. And you can also sign up as a paid subscriber for $5 Canadian a month and gain access to some bonus content and also support the podcast. Yeah, you know, we just found that Substack was kind of more um, more easy to use than Patreon, more well-known and kind of just like a better a better vibe for the pod. Um, so yeah, we're happy about that. And uh, honestly, if you like the pod, please um, consider subscribing. Um, it really helps us a lot and allows us to keep doing this. Um, yeah, so there's that. And the other thing... Um, is that we have a new batch of stickers that I made um, that I'm also really proud of. They're they look, really cute. They look really nice. They're really cute. Um, they're kind of like a, a limited run mm-hmm. um, for now because um, I'm broke and <laughs> can't afford to make more of them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you should check those out too. There's like, uh, yeah, there's some really cute ones. And they're up, uh, if you go to fuckingcancel.com, it takes you to, to our sub stack, like we said, but there's also a link to our shop. Yeah, um, at the top there. It'll take you right there. Yeah, and then the other announcement that we wanted to make, so the last episode um, was our first of a new series called Book Club, where we are joined by Tara McGowan-Ross and DJ Fraser, who are close personal friends of ours and also professional smart people. Um, And that series is going to be us discussing books that we are all reading. Um, And the purpose of this series is that we're trying to encourage reading among um, our listeners and among ourselves. And we just think that, you know, in this age of surveillance capitalism and, you know, the erosion of our attention spans through social media, it is fucking cool to get together with your friends and read books. And so part of what we're hoping to do with this series is we're hoping that listeners will also, you know, feel inspired to get the books and to read um, read the books before the episodes where we discuss them so that when we discuss them, you have read the book, you know. Yep. Um, and you can also even take this a step further if you feel so inclined and not only get the books, but read the books with some of your friends mm-hmm. um, so that you can also discuss the books and, like, you guys could, you know, read the books together, then, you know, listen to the episode and then discuss, you yep. know? So... And so the next book we're doing is um, Ministry for the Future by Kim Stanley Robinson. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an amazing book. And uh, I think it's 
honestly one of the most important books of the last like couple years mm-hmm. to come out. It's science fiction, sort of, <laughs> because it's set like like tomorrow. Yeah, know? it's set like literally like a year from now. Yeah, and um, it's about climate, and uh, yeah, it's a tough book to get through because it, it can be really dark in places, but I think it's really important, mm-hmm. um, really important book. It really gets into, well, I don't want to give too much away, but it gets into some of the... Um, the realistic possibilities for dealing with the crisis that we find ourselves in, you mm-hmm. know, which there's a lack of, I find, you know. Seriously. And Kim Stanley Robinson is an incredible thinker. Like, yes, it's science fiction, but, like, he is literally, like, one of the most, like, deep researchers when oh, it yeah. comes to meticulous, writing. Meticulous, meticulous research. So it's not just, like, wacky sci-fi. It's, like, very, very well-researched, like, based in reality. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so definitely... Uh, if you feel inspired to do so, get your hands on um, the ministry for the future. And then the episode where we discuss it is going to come out sometime in January. Yep. Yep. Yes, indeed. So that's it for announcements. Yeah. So today we're going to do another um, of our principles episodes. So, you know, our episodes are divided into these kind of streams. Um, and we haven't done one about principles for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we decided to get on that. Um, and yeah. Basically, like, if you listened to the first episode of the podcast way back when, we made a list of the principles that were guiding, um, you know, our political thinking and our work on this podcast. And basically, you know, we come out of 12 steps and in 12 step culture, like there's this saying principles before personalities, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. Um, and we have often felt that a lot of, you know, political thinking of any stripe like, loses touch with the underlying principles, you know? And we feel that, like, political thought should flow from principles. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is kind of how you have more coherent political thought. Not that it's always that simple and straightforward, but I think um, a lot of people could really benefit from thinking about what their principles are and whether or not what they're doing in their personal life and in their political, like, in the way that they think and act politically, if there's alignment there, you know? So that's very important to us. And we've done a couple episodes... um, looking more closely at specific principles, but it's been a while since we've done one, so we decided it might be time to jump in and do another principles episode. Yeah, so today we thought we would do an episode, uh, an episode about um, freedom as a principle. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, you know, complicated topic, big, uh, a big idea, but uh, I think that freedom is, um, it's really foundational to a lot of how we see the world, like Clementine and I, you know, Obviously, freedom is important to lots of people for lots of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, you know, something we were thinking about is just how freedom can act as a um, kind of like a spiritual principle rather than this sort of abstract political philosophy kind of like topic, um, although that's interesting too. But what does it mean? Um, well, let me ask you, Clementine, like what does it mean to have freedom as a principle? Well, when I think about freedom, the first thing that comes to mind, and I know that you and I have talked about this a bunch, Jay, is that, like, I remember being a little kid in school. Mm -hmm. And Jay and I have talked about how both of us, when we were little kids in school, were like, this is so fucked up that I swear and I I pledge allegiance that, like, when I grow up, I am going to you know, like tear down the school, do system. something yeah. about this, yeah. you know, because it is so fucking wrong. And like both of us, you know, but I just got tears. <laughs> both of us remember being little it's kids, true. <laughs> being little kids and being in the school system. And like the experience of being in the school system, you know, was that of a total lack of freedom and of total domination 
from those who position themselves in authority above us, illegitimate authority. When I can I just say, yeah, when I was fifteen years old, yeah, um, I stole <clears throat> a can of house paint. Okay, wow, and a paintbrush, mm-hmm. and I went around to the different schools in the town I lived in and painted brainwashing facility in giant letters on the side. I love you. Um, and got arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, I didn't do that, but like um, I did when I was in, uh, when I was in like grade eight. So I probably was like 12. I, I wrote the name of my school and then sucks S U X um, in a bathroom stall and me and, like, the other, like, kind of troubled weird girl in my <laughs> class were both taken into the office. <laughs> and they were like, we know it's one of you <laughs> that did this, <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, so, but I remember being, I remember being in elementary school, being, like, a little kid and just being absolutely horrified by the domination of my teachers. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, in Canada, like, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Ontario, where I grew up, the winters are fucking cold, okay? It's cold outside, it's freezing cold. And we had to go outside for recess, no matter what, no matter how fucking cold it was, we had to go outside and just stand outside and like run around or whatever. And sometimes it was really fucking cold, okay? (laughs) And, And the teachers didn't, they went inside. And I remember one time, like, talking to one of my teachers and being like, why do you guys get to go inside and sit in, like, the staff room? And why do we have to go outside where it's cold? And she was like, because I said so. Yeah. Because those are the rules. Yeah. You know? And I just could not accept that. <laughs> I cannot accept that. You know? And so I feel like just from such a basic level, you know, this is where I start with freedom is this idea that, like, I don't fucking like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do, especially when there's no justification for why I'm being told to do that beyond somebody enacting authority over me. Mm -hmm. And so this is the part of me that is just like extremely anarchist and like has remained anarchist is that I'm like, you know, I will do things that I don't want to do when there's a good reason to do them. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I will do things I don't really feel like doing, you know, for the good of myself and for the good of other people. Like, you know, if, if there's a good reason for me to do something, then I'll probably do it. But I don't like doing things because other people have just decided that that's what I have to do. And it doesn't make sense to me. And I don't agree with it. Yeah. And I don't have like, if I don't have the ability to be like, no, I don't want to. And somebody's literally enacting that over me or using domination, power, threats, violence, anything like that. I don't like that. Yeah. It's like the, it's the whole, because I said so thing Yeah, that, that really like grates on me too. And was like a huge fucking thing for me in, in, in school. And, you know, as I get older, I'm, I'm sort of like, I recognize the kind of, um, circumstances that these teachers were in, you know, where they didn't have very much fucking like abilities to make that situation much better either, you know, very underpaid and overworked and whatever. Um, but also I'm like, holy fuck. Yeah. Like schools are like really bad, man. I know. You know like the, the fucking number they do on you. And in a very real way, it's like, they're, they're kind of just, they kind of just exist to uh, prepare children for um, a lifetime of taking orders from people who say, exactly. I told you so. Exactly. Or not I told you so, because I say so. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, extremely frustrating. And yeah, I mean, I think I also agree that, like, 
where my politics and my principles become the most anarchist um, in a way that I'm really unable to let go of and probably will always be unable to let go of is uh, where where they align with the, the anarchist saying or the anarchist sort of um, axiom that uh, you you have to challenge power and that illegitimate authority um, doesn't need to be listened to. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and in fact, you somewhat have a moral duty to oppose it. Yeah. Um, and I really think that that, when I first, you know, heard that, I think it's like a Chomsky thing. You yeah. Know? I think Chomsky was formulated it that way most famously. Um, and when I first heard that, when I was like 15 or 16, you know, I was like, it resonated so clearly with me, you know? Can we just take a second to define what illegitimate authority is? Yeah, absolutely. In, in an anarchist formulation, illegitimate authority is authority that has no real way to justify itself. Yeah. Um, and so the sort of famous um, way to illustrate this is that, like, if you if you need your shoe repaired, you're going to um, defer to the authority of a shoemaker because right. a shoemaker knows how to fucking repair shoes and yes. you don't, right? Yes, um, And so that kind of authority that's based on, you know, a very obvious kind of, like... Uh, like knowledge and skill, knowledge and skill, specialized knowledge and skill, yeah. whatever. Um, that authority is almost like na- a natural authority. You could say mm-hmm. it's like that person like clearly knows how to fix a shoe. Therefore he should be in charge of shoe fixing for, <laughs> right. the, for the time being, you know? Yeah. Um, as opposed to people just sort of being like, well, I'm bigger and stronger than you, or I have a gun and you don't, or, yeah. um, I control capital and yeah. you don't control capital. Like these are sort of examples of illegitimate authority where it's like, there's no particular like skill or like moral justification for like what you're doing. It's literally just that you're like stronger and that you are in a position of authority. You, you know? have power. You have power. Um, and anarchists have always been like, well, just because you say that you, should be the boss of me doesn't mean that you're the boss of me. Yeah, you know? I mean, anarchists used to be like that. <laughs> well, that's something that we'll get into, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that that's like a good way of looking at the world, even if you're not an anarchist, which is also something that Chomsky says all the time. Yeah. He's like, you honestly don't have to agree with everything, I think, to realize that like, you know, some guy just like holding a gun is not, it, it, like that doesn't mean that he is the, the the legitimate authority. And so where anarchists take this, they take this very far, right? Yeah. And they would say that like the entire state apparatus is kind of illegitimate because it's like I didn't ask for anybody to rule over me like this way, yes. you know, and I didn't um, ask that they should be constituted in such a manner that there's such a thing called Canada and like so on and so forth, right? Um, and so that's the the classic kind of like anarchist take on the state um, boiled down. Yeah. You know, but Yeah, and I think like a piece of this is that, you know, when we were talking about this episode, we got into, like, many, many long, long discussions about, like, what freedom is and, like, different, you know, philosophical and political ideas about freedom. And there's, like, a lot to be said about it. It's a big, big topic, you know? But, like, there's also, like, this very, like, fundamental way that I think can even be described as, like, embodied in which people feel and know when their freedom is being impinged upon. Mm -hmm. And they don't like it. You know, and so in this similar way to like, you know, the feeling I was describing as a child of just being like, you know, I'm I'm mad because people are telling me what to do and it doesn't make sense. Like the idea that we should be producing obedience in people is like sort of taken for granted. It used to be taken for granted in child raising practices like across the board. And now that's beginning to change. Mm -hmm. Now people are starting to say, you know, of course, you know, like parents do have a sort of like legitimate authority over children, obviously, because they know stuff that children don't know. And it's their job to help keep them safe and to teach them how to be in the world. But it used to be a very like, because I said so. And Mm -hmm. we also have learned that like, not only is that, you know, very rude, (laughs) 
it's also not that effective because kids, like all people, don't fucking like being told what to do for no reason. And they get mad and they get upset. And then they often also get sneaky because they're like, well, you're telling me that you're not explaining me why to me. And so now, yeah, because they're like, I don't like being dominated. And so they'll often find ways of doing the thing anyway. Mm -hmm. So like there's new approaches to, to raising children that are like, you know, more about explaining to children why this is being asked of them, right? That this is, you know, I know you don't like to brush your teeth, but if, <sighs> if you don't brush your teeth, you know, this is what ends up happening. You get cavities, then, you know, you have to have a dentist drilling in your mouth. That doesn't feel good. So, like, we're making this choice even though we don't like it because there's a reason for it, right? So that's mm. just an example. Um, but basically, you know, schools and even, like, families for so long were just about producing obedience, right? And capitalism is very much about producing obedience. And I think that there's like a very, like there's a spark of aliveness inside of people that refuses that, that like does not want to be submissive and docile. And that feels angry about the ways in which our natural expression of our will is like being repressed through powers that dominate us, right? And like another example of this, you know, when we were talking about like freedom um, as this big abstract concept versus something that could be seen as very visceral and embodied is incarceration. Mm. Like people do not want to be incarcerated. Right. They don't fucking like it. Right. Okay. And so it's like to be locked up is like one of the worst things that can happen to a person because the feeling of not being able to move freely is like actually crazy making, you know, it goes against everything that is like our natural impulse in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like I mentioned the other day about um, about Germany and like there are some other countries too that have uh, made it so that it's no longer against the law to try to escape from jail because the courts decided that it's like a natural human impulse yes. to try to escape from incarceration, you know? So to punish people for it would be nonsensical. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, in this way, like I think for me, in a in a spiritual principle kind of way of looking at freedom... Like, freedom is about honoring that impulse within all of us that does not want to be dominated, mm. you know? That wants to be able to express ourselves freely in the world, to move freely in the world, and to, yeah, to just be authentically ourselves. And nobody likes to be incarcerated. People also don't like to be physically assaulted. Like, physical assault and, like, physical restraint on people is another form of like a deep violation of our autonomy and a deep violation of our freedom. We don't like other people enacting their will against us. And so when we are thinking about freedom as a spiritual principle, if we, if we honor that in people that like that impulse to not want to be dominated is good, is actually like sacred and that we need to find a way of living in the world um, and living together in complex societies and doing like our political work and like everything in alignment with the principle that we don't want to be dominating people and overriding their like inherent, like felt sense of autonomy. Yeah. And I think that like all the rest of these principles, um, it's not something that is always so easy to do in the day to day, you know, um, particularly because even though freedom is this concept that is invoked by literally everyone from, you know, conservatives to like outright fascists to communists to anarchists and everybody in between. Um, it is also something that is, you know, pretty severely lacking in society in general. And, you know, and in our case, like, you know, in, in Canada, there are, 
there are many freedoms, um, especially sort of like compared to other places. But in a capitalist economy, people have this major unfreedom, um, which is that they have to work for 40 hours a day. And when they're working, or 40 hours a day, 40 hours a week. Um, and when they're working, they must follow the directions of someone from a different class. Totally. You know? and, and not just that, but it's like, you know, like they're coerced into working like that because of landlords and because of like the cost of living. So like, even if they decided they didn't want to work, like it's very hard not to work that much. Mm. Um, and then even their free time, their supposed free time is like taken up through like the labor of reproduction. So like they need to like, in the little bits of time that they have left, they need to like feed themselves, try to relax a little bit, get to and from work. So it's like pretty much people's whole fucking lives are like taken up by this shit. Yeah. So there's this kind of like ongoing domination that people are subjected to. Um, and so we all internalize that to a degree and accept that that is, that that's like kind of acceptable. Um, and there's also all these ways in which we are as a culture obsessed with punishment, obsessed with different forms of domination. Um, you know, we, we celebrate violence to a great degree, um, especially of violence against people that we decide are bad. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it is easy for us to, when we feel angry or annoyed or, um, upset with something that someone is doing or saying something that someone is doing or saying, um, to forget that freedom is an important principle, an important spiritual principle. Um, and it's really easy to slip into this, uh, mindset of just like, well, you know, if you didn't want, um, this kind of like repercussion, if you didn't want this domination to happen to you, then you shouldn't have done the thing that you did, whatever, you know, and this gets into like stuff about punishment that we've talked about extensively. Um, but yeah, like, so I guess where, what I'm getting at is that it's just important. I think when I think about freedom as a principle for myself to recognize that it's easy for me to slip into a sort of like worldview that, that validates unfreedom, you know, um, and that sometimes unfreedom is sort of unavoidable in, in, in a real sense. Like I, you know, people do have to go to work um, and I don't have any particular way to like stop that right now, you know? Um, but that you can always refer back to your principles when you're thinking about what kind of action you want to take, you know, and how you want to react to people. And you can be like, am I, um, am I slipping into this kind of like this, this acceptance of unfreedom in my actions, you know? There's like, yeah, like I think there's these little ways because we are so fucking dominated, right? We're dominated by capitalism. We're dominated by the police and by the law, you know, but there's these little ways in which people are constantly trying to do little acts that steal back their freedom, mm -hmm. you know? So like people constantly are, you know, being dishonest to their bosses. Yeah. And yes, like, and this is a way in which people are like, fuck you and your illegitimate authority, actually. Yeah. You know, you don't own me. Yeah, I have to like show up here and act like I am consenting to this, but no, I'm not consenting to this. This is coercive as fuck. Shout out to the barista who always gives me a free coffee. Yeah, and like, so people do all these little things where they are like, you know, not totally reporting how much time they're really working. Yeah, um, stealing from work. Yeah, or just whatever, yeah. you know. And like, this is a way in which they're trying to steal back their freedom from capitalism <clears throat> that is like completely stealing their life from them, you know. And mm -hmm. like, this is just a weird aside, but I kind of wanted to bring it up. Um. There's this situation um, in Montreal where there's basically, like, this this train track that, like, runs through, like, a major neighborhood. 
And there's no way to really, there's no easy way to like get around the tracks. You either have to like go under a bridge or over a bridge or around it. And it's, it takes a significant amount of time and it's annoying to do that. And so of course people like to cross the tracks and they cut the fence and cross the tracks. And then there's like this insane war between basically the police, the people who own the tracks and the common regular people who live there about this train track because basically like someone was killed on the tracks and so the the um the train track people are like we can't be having this it's a big like i don't know safety issue um and so they like constantly go and they pay people to fill these holes up and then the police come and give 600 hundred dollar tickets mm-hmm. um to people for crossing the tracks but do you think that people are accepting this absolutely not they cut the, the holes in the fence every fucking day yeah and they cross the tracks every fucking day yeah. even though the police are there trying to give them a 600 hundred dollar ticket yeah. <laughs> and it seems absurd you know it seems absurd that people would do this because like i got stopped by a cop and like i fortunately didn't get a ticket he gave me a warning but he was like that's a very expensive shortcut like why are you crossing the tracks when you know you can get a 600 hundred dollar ticket when it would probably take you like 10 to 15 minutes to go around and i'm like it's a matter of fucking principle i didn't say this to him <laughs> But I'm like, your rule is absurd. Yeah. It makes no fucking sense. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you going to put giant fences up around the roads? Because I tell you that more people are hit by cars and trains. Yeah, obviously. And you don't do that. So this this makes no fucking sense. People can cross the tracks. Yeah. And I'm sorry that the city is built this way, but there's no fucking way for me to get across that makes sense except for walking straight across the tracks. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's private property owned by CN. Like, you know what CN stands for, by the way? Canadian National. Did you know that it used to be owned by Canada and then they privatized it? <laughs> now it's a private company that owns the train tracks. I'm yeah. just like, everything about this is fucking ridiculous. But yeah, just as like a, as a as a very like simple and ridiculous example, I think that like just the intensity with which people refuse to listen to the rules about crossing the tracks. And they just consistently, like every fucking day, people go out there with bolt cutters and cut it. And every everybody, like all different kinds of people, families, people with dogs, yeah. like all different people are crossing the tracks every single day, despite massive, you know, attempts from the police and the train track people to like not let it happen, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's because guess what? People don't fucking like being told what to do. I have like an aside about this too. Um, it's just reminding me of kind of like the, uh, what you might call like lifestyleist anarchists, like the adbusters, like kind of vibe of anarchists, okay. you know, if people remember adbusters, but it's kind of this, like, um, it's this way of thinking about anarchy. Um, that is what I, I, I would actually say that it's very spiritual. Um, mm. although I think that many of them would not agree with this at all. Um, but it's sort of this, it, this celebration of breaking the law or breaking like various social norms, um, for its own sake, you know? And where I differ with them is that I don't think that it actually kind of like accomplishes much like tangibly politically to just be sort of like engaging in these sort of like random acts of, of quote unquote insurrection. But I think that it accomplishes something spiritually and psychologically to have a practice of breaking the fucking law sometimes. And I think that like graffiti is actually like a really good Mm -hmm. example of this. I think that graffiti is like spiritually like really good for you. Yes, I agree with this. (laughs) Or it's like really good for me um, to just be like today I'm going to go out with my little marker and allegedly, um, (laughs) you know, write things on walls, you know, just because I fucking can and um, because it's not allowed and I'm going to do it anyway, you know. And also because it's like the city is yours, like it doesn't belong to the fucking gentrifiers who are coming in here putting up their stupid little condos and like getting rid of the fucking shops that we like in our neighborhood. Yeah. And, and it's, it's pushing back against this notion, which I disagree with, which is that like every single square inch of everything is owned yeah. by somebody else, you know, and, like the people who live in this neighborhood, 
neighborhood want to write stuff on the walls. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and whatever. I I would like to say that I um, abide by the the rules of engagement of graffiti, which is that you don't graffiti on, like, people's, like, literal houses, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I avoid graffitiing on, like, churches, you know? But, uh, yeah, like, the back of a fucking warehouse wall is, like, fair game, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was like a couple of asides in a row, but I don't know. I think that it's yeah. Basically, what we were talking about is that people um, really dislike being fucking told what to do, um, and will go to great lengths to find sneaky ways to get around it. Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting because like we're talking about these larger these larger systems that are constantly trying to produce obedience in us, right? So mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. in the ways that we were probably raised by our families, most of us. Um, the, like our our experiences in schools, like the the existence of the police, you know, there's so many things that are trying to produce obedience in us at all times, and not just in subcultural people, not just in like punks and anarchists and like weirdos, but in actually a lot of regular people, there are these small ways in which they're like fuck the rules, yeah, and they do stuff in which they are breaking the rules because the rules don't make any fucking sense and they don't consent to them. And that impulse in people, I think, is beautiful and sacred and is actually something that we, we as leftists, want to be tapping into. Because this is the discontent that people have with the current system in which they are like, they actually don't like the fact that they have to give away all their fucking time to their boss and they have to give away all their fucking money to their landlord and so on and so forth, right? They don't fucking like that. Mm -hmm. But they might not have like a coherent like political... um, you know, analysis of it or like a way of understanding and explaining like what is actually going on, but they may have these little rebellions that they do. Right. And I think that those little rebellions, I agree with you on their own, they don't do anything. You know, it's, they can even be pacifying in the sense that like, if you just do those little rebellions and, and it's never like taken up or explained or like given meaning that is larger than that, it can just sort of be helping you deal with the crushing, numbing, like, bullshit yeah. of submission and you just which is somewhat like other spiritual things yeah. you know, you know like what I mean? it can it's help like, you get by yeah. which is like you know in some ways good people do need to get by but also if it's just helping you get by but it's not moving you anywhere then that isn't great but i also think that like you know for leftists part of what our job is is to help tap into that in people and to help be like that feeling that you have of discontent of anger towards your boss mm-hmm. but that means something and like those little rebellions you know, they're right for what they are, but you could also be a part of a bigger rebellion and yep. you could actually like join forces with other people and, and fight back in ways that are more meaningful because you have more power. Yeah. I also think like now that we're on this topic, like it's, it's worth remembering that human beings are like this and they're, they're not going to stop being like yeah. this, you know, and there is no way to make them stop, you know? Yeah. And we see this in like the most you know, authoritarian and rigid regimes in history, there's still people out there breaking the rules, yes. you know? Um, and yeah, whatever, you know, there's, there's going to be gangsters in like, you know, people like, you know, doing like organized crime, just for example, not that I'm like a uh, celebrated organi- organized crime. I think that it's like a bad thing, you know, but like even in places like North Korea, there's like organized crime, you know, even though it's one of the most rigid places in the world, right? There's people who will like smuggle you out of North Korea, you right. know, um, or whatever, or they smuggle stuff in, you know? Or, like, in Saudi Arabia, where it's, like, really, like, horrifyingly um, totalitarian, um, they, you know, they, they will, like, you know, kill you immediately for for uh, for being gay, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet they still have to kill people for being gay, you know, because people are breaking those rules. Yeah, totally. People will break those rules, yeah. you know? 
you can't stop us. Um, and so <laughs> I just think that this is something that like, um, the left in general should keep in mind that not only can you not stop people from breaking rules and finding their own ways to, to work around systems and so on, but that like potentially in many ways, this is a fruitful thing that yeah. should be taken up by us as like an important element of what it even means to be human. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I go back to the, to raising children because I'm like, you know, if you like raising children is like a good example of a situation in which you want, you want to get someone to do what you want them to do. Right. Your kid is behaving in some kind of a way you wish they weren't and you want them to listen to you. Yeah. Right. So there's like, you have, you know, a couple options, one of which is to dominate them and to be like, because I said so, like, you know, and kind of threaten them or scare them in some way. Or the other is to try to get them to, to see why it's in their own best interest to do this. Right. And so I think, you know, in, in our political movements, we also have this, um, these options, right? If we want people to, um, do what we want them to do, if we want them to get on board with our political project, are we going to use threats and domination and coercion to do it and to override their will so that they will agree with us? Not because they think that it's in their best interest, but because they're frightened. Mm. Or do we want to try to help people to agree with us by actually making a convincing argument that it is in their best interest, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. and like modeling too, yeah. you know? It's like in AA, they always talk about how you can you can convince people best by just sort of like being like a good, I guess, role model, you know? Yeah, and showing an example of what it's like. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. if you like walk up to somebody who's still drinking and you're just like, get your shit together, asshole, you know, they're going to be like, go fuck yourself, you know? But if you're around that person a bunch um, and calmly just not drinking and being like, you know, a well-adjusted and relatively happy person and, you know, they find out that you used to drink. Yeah. That is like much more convincing. For sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I have a couple tabs open in my brain. Yeah, I do too. Okay. So sh- I'm like, here you go. No, you go. <laughs> Okay, one thing I wanted to touch on before moving on from just, like, the illegitimate authority shit and the domination shit is I just wanted to do a little shout-out to psychiatry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Because for me, like, psychiatry has been, like, one of the most insane experiences of domination that I have ever experienced in my life. Mm. Um, And being anti-psychiatry, which I am, is, like, one of my most controversial stances. It's, like, right up there with my veganism. <laughs> LOL. Um, but those literally are my most controversial stances, my veganism and my anti-psychiatry. People do get mad about that. They do get really mad about that. Um, and you might notice that both of those stances have to do with my deep and profound love of freedom. Um, <laughs> let the fucking cows out, anyway. Um, but with the psychiatry thing, I'm just like, yeah, it's fucking horrifying to me that you know, part of what we consider to be care is, like, massive fucking coercion and incarceration, you know? Um, And I know that this is a controversial uh, stance to have, and it's a bigger topic than this episode, but I just wanted to, like, mention it, that, like, you know, locking people up and taking away their freedom to do what they want to do, even inside the psych ward, like, when you're inside the psych ward, everything you do is regimented, you have no control over yourself, Um, even, like, what you say can be, like, totally controlled, is, like, actually a fully fucking traumatizing experience. And my extreme, like, dislike of authority, I think, was so incredibly heightened by my experiences of psychiatric incarceration and, Mm. like, lockup. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to throw that in there. Um, And then I have one more, but you you go now. 
Well, no, I mean, it's an interesting one, you know? Um, and I do think that like, well, it, it goes back to like something that we were talking about this morning like, before we started uh, recording, which is just that like, in general, I think that like the, the, the way to go is to be really, 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 really careful about any circumstances where we might find ourselves um, tempted or potentially forced to take away someone's autonomy and freedom, you know? Um, and I, I don't know if it's the case that there, that we, that we, that there are no circumstances in which we can do that, you know, because like it's, we live in a society as they say, you know? Um, but I do think that like, we do it like really flippantly sometimes. And I think that like psychiatry is like a really good example of this where sometimes the, the, um, criteria by which people are incarcerated in psychiatric institutions are so sort of like loosey goosey and there's like no fucking like recourse, you know? And I'm just like, we are not being like careful about this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's like very fucking distressing. So I wasn't going to go on too much of a psychiatric rant, but now I feel like I want to say a little bit more about it, which is just like, I wrote a paper about this um, that was published in the Canadian Journal of Disability Studies like years ago. But basically many of the things that people are incarcerated for behaviors that you know people are like well you have to incarcerate them for that because it's like they're causing harm to themselves like they're behaving in ways that are dangerous to themselves so therefore you have to incarcerate them but in fact many of those behaviors things like um, self-injury even suicide attempts chaotic like drinking and drug use um, behaviors that look from an external level like very self-destructive actually if you understand what is going on for that person those behaviors are very often an expression of a deep attempt to take back their will and their autonomy mm-hmm. from a situation in which their will and their autonomy has been profoundly taken from them. Right. And so like most people who cut themselves, for example, were abused, right? right? And, and self-injury can be a profound like, like reclamation of both their own body and also like the fact that something is really fucking wrong. Mm-hmm. Like they're being like, they're sounding the alarm. They're being like, something is really fucking wrong and nobody's fucking listening to that. So I'm expressing it, like, as visibly as possible, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And so that, like, attempt to act on their own behalf and to, like, actually assert their will in a positive and actually life-affirming way is then totally misunderstood and and read as, like, just inherently self-destructive. And um, then they're incarcerated and their will is taken from them even more, you know? Um, in fact, <laughs> this is, again, an aside, but, like, Jay and I recently did an intervention where... Um, there was like a couple having oh like God, a, yeah. <laughs> a domestic dispute in which the guy had like taken this this woman's phone and and her stuff and was like not giving it back to her and she was like screaming and chasing him and trying to get it back and like Jay and I like intervened on the situation and the guy then was trying to make the accusation that she was suicidal and that is why he needed he took all of her stuff that he like, needed because he was trying to get her to go with him because he was like she's gonna kill herself and me hilariously I said to him. I understand suicidal ideation. Um, yeah. And Jay was making fun of me for that because it was a hilarious thing for me to say to this guy. But basically what I was It worked saying, though. I, yeah, it worked. I got her <laughs> fucking phone back. Yeah. But basically I was like, look, people who are suicidal, they deeply feel like they don't have power. That's why people are suicidal because mm-hmm. they feel like they have no power and mm-hmm. taking their life is actually a profound act of trying to take their fucking power back. It's mm-hmm. like the one thing that they're like, okay, I have power over this. Yeah. It's people who are suicidal feel fucking helpless. Yeah. And so anything that you are doing to decrease their power mm-hmm. is actually not good for them and their suicidality. And I'm like, if she's fucking suicidal, you taking her phone away and making her feel further powerless and helpless is not actually helping. And so whatever, I convince him to get, give her her phone back. But yeah, yeah. I feel like that is something that people don't understand about suicide and many other behaviors that seem very like profoundly destructive is that very often at the heart of them, they are about reclaiming power. Mm-hmm. They are about wanting to feel like you have power over something, Yeah, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, the other tab, well, the it's the main tab, honestly, that is open for me, is just um, getting back to the topic of anarchists. So I, I want to go one more place before we go there. Can, right. can we do that? Okay, we're doing it. Okay, so I feel like we've been kind of skirting around this issue, and for listeners, I feel like it would just help if we put it outright, right? Like, to make it clear. So you did mention that you're like, you know, we should take it very seriously when we're overriding somebody's autonomy. Like, we should never do that lightly. Yeah. But there may be circumstances under which that is necessary, right? And I'm sure that people listening to me talking about psychiatry are having the same thought in their mind, where they're like, okay, but sometimes people are being very violent and dangerous to, like, other people. And so sometimes there might be circumstances where you have to override people's autonomy to protect other people's autonomy, Mm -hmm. right? And so I just wanted to make that explicit and clear that, like, when we are trying to decide if it is legitimate to override somebody's autonomy, for me, the only question is, are you overriding this person's autonomy because they are trying to override your autonomy or somebody else's autonomy, mm-hmm. right? And so this is where the concept of intervention um, and self-defense come in, right? Yeah. And so basically, you know, this is the very simple example that I always give when talking about this is like, if I'm really mad at someone or I just don't like what they're doing, I don't have the right to just grab them and restrain them and hold them down because that's actually a profound violation of their bodily autonomy. But if that person is about to punch someone in the face or punch me in the face, I do have the right to hold them down to stop them from doing that, right? And so that is why the act of me like holding them down and overriding their autonomy is is either self-defense or it's intervention to protect someone else in this case, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so like those are, in my opinion, the only justifications that we have for overriding other people's autonomy and sometimes it gets complex to actually be like is that what you're doing is that not what you're doing and yeah. sometimes people can pretend like that's what they're doing when they're not you yeah. know people... or they can believe that that's what they're doing yeah. when they're not exactly um but i think that we need to think really carefully about this and be like okay is that what's actually going on here or not yeah. are you are you defending yourself or are you just overriding somebody's autonomy because you want to yeah um and like that is it's a, it's a complex question sometimes. Like, sometimes it's very straightforward and obvious. Sometimes it's more complex. But I think that that's the question we need to be asking when we are seriously looking at taking away someone's freedom. And I think that taking away someone's freedom is, like, a fucking serious thing to do, and it's not something that should be taken lightly. And, um, yeah, so I, that's, I just wanted to make that clear before we move on. Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, and I think, like, I don't know, one of the places where it ends up getting uh, kind of fuzzy and this leads nicely into what we're going to talk about next is with speech, you know, and, um, there's, you know, people who are like absolute, like they're like free speech absolutists, right. Who are like the, it's the most important principle to them. And they're like, people can say anything they want at any time with no exceptions. You know, I think this view is more common in the U S um, cause the U S is like very, uh, has the most sort of like open free speech laws, I think of like probably anywhere. Um, but you know, there's people who, who feel that way all over the place. I think that like, um, well, I'll speak for myself. I think Clementine is mostly on the same page as me. Like I am in general, I'm like, we should err more towards, um, freedom when we're talking about speech. You know, I think that like in general, we should be like very, very, um, careful about restricting what people can and cannot say. I don't think that like, there is no reasonable limits on what people can or cannot say. I think that like, uh, I think that laws against sort of like open incitement of sort of like, let's say like racist violence or something like that, like makes sense. Like I can't find like a good reason to be opposed to that. Um, but I think that we, yeah, again, we need to be like super, super careful. And I do think that there's stuff that gets prosecuted as 
um, sort of like hate speech or, or stuff like that, that, that shouldn't be honestly, even though I might strongly disagree with it. And like an example that I'm thinking of is, um, I can't even remember where it was, but somewhere in Canada, um, some students like burned like a pride flag at their school. Right. It was like outside their school or something. I don't think it was like during school hours or anything. Um, and they got, uh, they got arrested for it and, you know, got in like a lot of trouble. Um, presumably they're being prosecuted as minors. So, you know, probably not going to go to jail or anything, but like it was being treated as like this, like hate speech incident, you know? And I'm like, yeah, it sends a signal, you know, to burn a pride flag. But I'm also just sort of like, is that, is that something that we really want to be prosecuting as, you know, um, as a, a disallowed form of expression, you know? And then I'm thinking about like another, uh, a kind of similar but opposite thing that happened recently, um, which is that uh, some students burned an Israeli flag in like mm-hmm. somewhere in like Brampton or something, you know, um, and people are calling for them to be like prosecuted right. for like hate speech, you know, and I'm just sort of like, I don't think they should be prosecuted for hate speech either. I think that like, you know, burning a flag uh, should be allowed. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, even if I personally think that it's like really distasteful to like burn a pride flag, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was definitely on the side, but yeah. Yeah. So I'm also basically a free speech absolutist with the one exception of speech that is inciting violence, like calls for violence against a person or a population, a group of people. The reason that I make the exception there is just because this moves from speech into violence. Like you're inciting violence, you're calling for violence Mm -hmm. and that is concerning because violence we do not want, you know? Um, But otherwise I'm, I'm a free speech absolutist in the sense that people should be able to say things that I find fucked up and abhorrent, you know? Um, And like, I do feel really strongly about this because for a lot of reasons, like one, it's like, you know, everybody loves the rules when we're the ones making the rules. Um, but we don't like it when they were used against us. And just like this example you gave with the flag, it's like, you know, people who probably a hundred percent applauded the criminalization of the kid who burned the pride flag are super fucking mad and upset when they are the ones now getting, you know, basically the exact same treatment. But they're Mm -hmm. like, but from my perspective, what I'm doing is right. And so I'm like, we don't ever like it when it's being enacted against us. And the thing is, is that who's in charge and like who's enacting it can always change. So I'm just like, we probably should just have a basic line that we are allowed to fucking speak. And you're allowed to burn flags, you know? Because like what happens when they make it illegal to burn the Canadian flag, you know? I mean, isn't it illegal to burn the Canadian flag? I don't know. Maybe it is. It's probably illegal. (laughs) I'm thinking it's illegal. (laughs) I don't know. Seems illegal, but I don't know. Um, (laughs) You're like, oh shit, really? Um, (laughs) But, um, but yeah, like that can always be, uh, used against us. And then also, secondly, I'm like, ideas that we don't like are best confronted in broad daylight. Like, just like with the, the example that I give with like raising kids, if you're just like, no, don't do that. The kid is going to be sneaky. And the kid is going to try to find ways to get away with what they want to do, right? Very likely, And yeah. so when we're talking about things like hate speech, like there are people who are saying things that I'm like, wow, I really wish you weren't saying that because it's really fucking hateful and it's really upsetting to me. You know, I really don't agree with it. I think it's very dehumanizing. I think it's very wrong. But if, if I'm just like, if you say that I'm going to criminalize you, they're going to be meeting in private. They're going to be saying this and they're also going to be super fucking mad that they're not allowed to speak. And so then I think this leads to like more crazy shit. You know, it increases violence because it means that like those people and their bigoted ideas, they're never exposed to like 
critique and disagreement in a serious and principled way, right? Mm. And I think that people who have bigoted ideas need to hear why those ideas don't make any sense and aren't good for them, mm. you know? And so if their ideas are in public, then the response to those ideas can also be in public. And we can be like, this doesn't make any sense and this is why we disagree with you and like this is why we think that you thinking that is even bad for you, you know? Mm. Um, and so I think things are just better dealt with in the light of day than being driven underground where they can then go crazy and, and fester and turn into crazy shit, you know? Yeah. So that's the free speech component. Um, so we are we going to go into the anarchism? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one of the reasons why I think we we wanted to do this episode is, like, we've been not- noticing for many years, you know, that there has been this kind of transformation within the anarchist scene, because it's not really a movement, um, <laughs> where it has become, like, fashionable i think to 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 mock like even the idea of freedom you know um and to accept that uh it's completely acceptable to um to deny people very basic freedoms of you know expression and and whatever um on the basis that you don't like what they're saying yeah or doing yeah Um, and i think maybe before we get into this more specifically with the anarchists, we should maybe touch on this concept of like freedom to versus freedom from. Okay. Because I think that's what they're doing because they're being like, well, we want freedom from, right? Right. right. Um, and so the idea is basically that like you have, there's like the freedom to act and then there's like, you know, are you free from the results of other people's actions? Right. Right. And like, where do we draw that line? Mm-hmm. And like for, for me anyway, I think, you know, I draw it in the sense that like, as we were saying, it's a very serious thing to, um, to dominate another person and to um, interfere with their their free expression of their will. So the only time that I think that we have the actual right to do that is to protect other people from interference with their will, right? So basically, like I was saying, it's in situations of overriding someone's bodily autonomy, in situations of violence, then yes, you have the right to stop someone from doing that Mm -hmm. but then when we get into the more like rhetorical space right do you have the right to stop someone from speaking because you don't like what they're saying or because or or punish them for speaking yeah like because you find what they're saying to be violent and this Mm -hmm. is why i think we need to get more clear about what violence actually is Mm -hmm. because you know i think language and speech can be fucking abhorrent and upsetting and like even like really like possibly traumatizing you know but like I still think like, okay, I'm going to, where I'm going to draw the line is like, you can't just come up to me personally and start talking mad shit at me and not letting me leave. Like, I'm going to be like, I don't want to hear this and I want to go. Or like, if I can't leave because I, this is where I live or something, you need to go, Mm -hmm. you know? But that's different than people speaking in the public sphere towards like, like an audience. Does that make sense? Does that clarification make sense? Yeah. Because one is like, like in-person harassment. Yes. Like basically that's, I'm, I'm making a distinction between harassment to a person or to a group of people and, like, just saying what you think about something. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um, yeah. So the reason I think it's important to talk about this is because there's so many people who justify the, their overriding of other people's freedom with the idea that they want to be free from what those people want to do. Right. So that's why they think they're pro-freedom. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I think that there's there's been this, like, um, this strong movement towards like a anti-free speech like uh orientation um among anarchists and it's like really fucking weird and among like i would say the left generally the left generally yeah it's true 
Um, I feel like the 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 anarchists tend to be more likely to kind of like do something about it because they they tend to be kind of like um like in person you know um because they tend to be uh into the idea of like direct action and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and so they're like we're gonna get together put on ski masks and you know punish or uh stop from speaking like people that we don't like and using these kind of like antifa like tactics and um rhetoric right and the thing about Antifa is that it used to be about um, confronting fascists. Can I just make a weird comment? Yes. Why do Americans call it Antifa? I don't know. It's <laughs> fucking weird. Yeah. Antifa. It's so weird because it's like anti-fascist. Antifa. Yeah, yeah it's Antifa. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah, you know, it used to be about contr- confronting fascists. So like organized neo-Nazis who were meeting in order to um, uh talk about how they wanted to uh, slaughter people who were not like them. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? like inciting violence. Yeah, like inciting, actually inciting violence. And like trying genocidal to, And trying to recruit to like their neo-Nazi organizations yeah. and so on. Um, so that's what it was about originally. And now those tactics and that rhetoric and often sometimes the name Antifa, you know, um, is being used to confront people who like literally just sort of like said something that you kind of vaguely don't like. Yeah. Um, and that is crazy. And it's something that we actually have to be completely against. Um, is not okay. And these people are definitely not being judicious when they're like, you know, deciding who they want to confront and punish for their speech, you know? Yeah. I think this is such a fundamental, like it gets to the fundamental question of freedom because it's like, you know, everybody feels that they're justified in domination when they themselves are in charge. Because they're like, I myself, (laughs) I myself would never abuse power. Like I myself would always do this correctly. And I myself know who the good guys are and what the bad guys are. And I know what is violent speech and what is not violent speech. And I would never, ever misuse this power of domination. Mm -hmm. But every single person who is using domination feels that way. So I'm like, you're not fucking special, man. That's literally how every other person who is dominating others feels. And so the fact that you personally feel justified in dominating others is not evidence that you are justified in dominating others. Right, yeah, of course, you know? Or just, like, thinking that you're the good guy. Yeah. It's, like, I guess it's basically what you were just saying. But, like, yeah, like, everybody thinks that they're the fucking good guy, man. Yeah. You know? It's, like, neo-Nazis think that they're the good guys. And so, like, this is why it's about it's about principles. Because principles are, we use principles, like, before personalities. Principles before ideology, hmm. right? So it doesn't really matter who is involved in the situation. Are we actually adhering to the principle, mm-hmm. right? And so... Like, authoritarianism is this idea of, like, you know, I have the authority to enact and control, like, enact domination and control other people based on the worldview that I am suggesting. Mm -hmm. That's authoritarianism. I'm in charge. You do what I say. And, like, basically, I think on the left, we have, instead of critiquing authoritarianism itself as a concept, no matter who is in charge and who is being, like, who is being... Um, subjected to it we are now just saying okay it's not the authoritarianism that's the problem but we just need to make sure that when the authoritarianism is being acted out it's for the good cause well this is really interesting because i think that if you take a step back that used to be what anarchism was all about like anarchism like in a real big way like especially in the west and especially in the last like i would say like 60 years or so has been um in large part a critique 
of authoritarianism in general. And that's why a lot of anarchists were very against, let's say, the Soviet Union. Right. Um, even though the Soviet Union exactly. was like on the left, because anarchists were like, there is like a serious abuse of power that's happening in the Soviet Union and we can't accept it, you know? And so you can agree or disagree with that state, uh, with that uh, with that stance, you know? Um, but it, at least it, it was sort of coherent where yeah. anarchists were like, we oppose authoritarianism, like wherever Period. it is, that's why we're anarchists. Exactly. Right? Um, and we're not going to accept authoritarianism just because the people enacting it, um, share some views with us. Right. Um, but uh, like where we've arrived at now is just, I don't know. It's part of like this kind of, I honestly think it's part of capitalist realism where we've just all given up completely on like the concept of like a left that might not be insane and that might, you know, actually get us somewhere. But like, I don't know, man, I just, I keep seeing it like over and over again with like anarchists who are just like really, really into the idea of controlling and dominating other people. Well, I also think that like there is like a part of what it means to be human is that we do have a tendency to want to dominate others. Mm. You might see this throughout history, right? Like Dumplings and domination. Yeah. So we basically, human beings have a tendency to dominate each other. And so this seems to be something that we do. Um, It's not the only thing that we do. We do other things as well. But there is, it seems, you know, a part of us, inside of us, that enjoys the feeling of dominating others. And I think that this is something that, is true that it just exists inside of people. And it is something that if we want to be enacting our principles, we must guard against Mm -hmm. that desire to dominate, you know, and that feeling of like, I'm the one who's in charge here, you know? And like, you see it all the time, man, like, you know, a fucking bus driver who like is having a power trip over somebody who's 25 cents short. Right. Like you could let them go, man, but you're Mm -hmm. having a power trip because you enjoy the feeling because you are under the boot of capitalism yeah, and you are being dominated all the fucking time. You're having a fucking bad day. And now you get to dominate this person you get to tell them. Right. Totally. And so like, whatever, like, I don't think any of us are better than this. Like, I think all of us have been in a position where that impulse to be like, no, fuck you in a way that is totally not fucking legitimate is just there. And we want to dominate because we can, or because we've been given the position to, or because we feel justified to in some way. Um, and it can feel very pleasurable to do that. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we have to like highlight is that it feels fucking good to be in charge and mm-hmm. to be the one who gets to tell somebody else what to do. Mm-hmm. And I really think that what's going on with the anarchists right now is just a total unchecked like pleasure fest of domination. Yeah. Where they are high and drunk on their self-appointed authority. Yep. And literally, because it's like such a it's such a mind fuck with the anarchists, because I'm like literally anarchism is anti-authoritarian. That was its whole thing. Yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> that was literally the whole thing about being an anarchist. Yeah. But now there's all these anarchists who are like, no, it isn't. It's actually like the use of domination for what we consider to be correct. Yep. And so they will literally like there's a whole bunch of people who consider themselves anarchists who are now doing behaviors that are so fucking authoritarian widespread censorship, use of threats, book burning, literal book burning, book yeah. burning. Okay. Like, can we just say like, whenever you find yourself burning a book, maybe you should just stop, take a breath, <laughs> think about what you're doing. <laughs> it's not good, man. It's, not, it's never good. It's not good. And, and like literal use of like intimidation. Yeah. Threats, violence, like property destruction, um, attacks, 
Like and, and punishing people for speaking. And punishing people who, who disagree with you, attempting and like, you know, I'm this, still mad about our car. Yeah. And this is now getting into like the cancel culture stuff, right? Because yeah. cancel culture is also domination. Like it is authoritarian. It is being like, I am deciding that I am correct and I am gonna tell you what to do, and I'm gonna tell you that you're not allowed to be a part of the social world anymore. Yeah. I'm gonna punish you because I have declared you to be wrong. Yeah, and then I'm gonna find ways to like enforce that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah totally. Um and yeah, and where it leaks into the uh, so-called real world, you know, it can have these, like, really insane consequences. Like, yeah, when people try to, like, you know, if you try to have, like, an event like we did in, like, uh, in Portland, you know, and people, um, you know, attack you, fucking, like, punish you, like, try to, like, find ways to make it impossible for you to speak, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and for those who don't know, I'm sure everybody knows, but people slashed our tires and poured shit on our car in Portland. Yeah. And, and through like some kind of like a stink bomb thing and like the, in the venue, the venue where we were going to do it and whatever. Um, and then, yeah, recently, you know, there's been like more drama like this in Portland. I think that it's kind of constant in Portland. There's like yeah. a crew of people there who are like extremely into, I don't know, anarcho authoritarianism. Yeah, literally. <laughs> it's just authoritarianism guys. I'm sorry. Like it's just literally, there's no such thing as anarcho authoritarianism. As soon as it's authoritarianism, it's not anarchist. So, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people are allowed to disagree with you, man. Like, this is just something that you're going to have to accept. Well, this is the thing that you have to accept that I don't know if a lot of people can accept this. But I'm like, you are not in charge. And you're not the boss of me. And so, like, the idea that, like, people can convince themselves that they have really thought everything through and they themselves know that they are correct. Mm-hmm. Like... I remember being 16 years old and I was in an alternative school and I was like a little know-it-all, you know, Yeah. as many 16-year-olds are. And I remember telling my teacher who was like, you know, probably like a 45-year-old lesbian um, who had seen some things that I had not, Yeah. that I had figured everything out. Mm-hmm. Like I sincerely told that to her. Mm-hmm. I was like, I have figured everything out politically. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I currently have still not figured everything out politically. This is becoming increasingly clear to me, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) but it's like that sense of confidence. People can have that. They can have that at 16. They can have that when they are totally not justified in having that, you know? And the fact of the matter is, is that like, you know, major ethical political questions are very, very complex questions about like, um, you know, how do we address the severe state of, like capitalism and domination that we are all living under. Like, how do we address this? How do we, how do we change the, the circumstance? Like this is really complex and people have been writing about it for hundreds of years and they, we have not arrived at like one conclusion, you know, about how to best behave in an ethical and just way in the world. People have different opinions about this. And so, you know, I'm not saying it's just a fucking free for all. I do think that there are some hard lines. And for me, that hard line is like violence if people are enacting violence against somebody else, I will always intervene on that. But like in terms of people speaking their ideas about mm-hmm. what they think, especially on the fucking left. I mean, I also don't think that we have the right to be like silencing people who are speaking on the right. Um, but like, especially on the fucking left, we're just like, no, you're not the right kind of leftist. So shut the fuck up. I'm going to slash your tires. Yeah. It's literally insane. No, it's crazy. It's massive authoritarianism. And it's like... And it's if, like, who needs, like, fucking fascists when you have these fucking people? Exactly. Right? And I'm like, <laughs> it must be so nice to be so self-assured that you are absolutely fucking correct. Oh. That you have the right to enact, like, you know, physical consequences on another person. Like, damaging their property in such a serious way. Um, because you know that you're right? Yeah. Like, have some fucking humility. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And I would never... It's like, 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would just never like consider trying to stop these fucking idiots from like having some kind of event. Totally. Even you know though I, I mean? profoundly disagree with that. Yeah. And I think that they're like terrible. But, like, and I think that they're wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I also think that they're doing like active damage in the world. Yeah. Like I don't even want to say causing harm because I might throw, throw up, up in my yeah, mouth, yeah. but like, yeah, they're literally causing harm. Like quite literally, Yeah. you know, but like is me dominating them and trying to control them the best way to address that? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. All this is making me think of like when I was like a diehard anarchist, and I remember having this argument with my uh, my sibling like years and years and years ago. You know, where somebody was go- coming to speak at McGill, I think, um, and I can't even remember what they're speaking about. But like the all the lefties had decided that this person was very problematic and yeah. sh- shouldn't be allowed to speak. You know, and my sibling was like, "Yeah, we should." Um, we should like get McGill to like ban this person. Like we should like, you know, try to like get the event shut down. And I was like, no, like I'm a free speech absolutist. So like, I, I, (laughs) this is really funny. Um, so I think that they should be allowed to do it, but I just think that we should attack them physically. (laughs) Oh my God. That doesn't make any sense. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. No, it's the whole thing. You know, it's just like, I'm like I was like against censorship, but like pro like political violence, which is also censorship, <laughs> like yeah, of its own sort. Yeah, um, I think I was like 19 in yeah. my defense. But. All right, well, when I was 19, I was very questionable, more questionable than that. But um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. All this uh, it does it does make me think about the communists too. I have to say, okay, yeah. talk about the communists. Yeah, because um, like I don't know. Okay, so like when we were doing when we were sort of doing some prep for this episode, I was like, I'm going to do like a quick kind of like um, ideological survey of what people have had to say about freedom, you know? And I ended up only getting like a little ways into what I wanted to do, but I was looking up uh, freedom as discussed by like a number of different communist thinkers. And I ended up um, stumbling on this kind of, uh, I guess you could say like an ideological back and forth between Lenin and um, Rosa Luxemburg. And it's really interesting, and I don't know if you know about this relationship, but they were kind of like um, pen pal frenemies. Um, <laughs> and like, you know, Rosa Luxemburg was like extremely critical of Lenin, but was also very supportive of Lenin and of the Soviet Union while constantly criticizing um, and, and being like, you're really fucking certain things up. However, you're doing so in this like, in like almost impossible conditions and whatever, you know? Can I just make one comment on that before you move forward? Yeah. So... It's interesting to me because I'm like, that kind of generative discourse is impossible today. (laughs) Of being like, I largely disagree with you, but I also like agree with you on some things and I'm going to like tell you what I think without trying to destroy your life or stop you from speaking. Like, (laughs) because was Rosa Luxemburg out here fucking slashing his tires? Like, I guess he didn't have tires, but like, (laughs) it's still like, do you know what I mean? Like, it wasn't just like, fuck you, you're not allowed to speak, you're a horrible monster. Like, like she was like, I'm going to give you some feedback. Like, I'm going to give you some principled feedback. Um, I'm just saying we're really lacking that today. Yeah, well, we're going to get into that though, right? Because like one of the things that she was critical of um, was that basically like after the the Bolshevik party took over and after the Russian revolution and and when the the communists were building power in in Russia after they had taken over, you know, um, Rosa Luxemburg was like, listen, you have cracked down on freedom of expression in a way that I find really concerning. Um, and you have sort of like appointed yourselves to be the, the, the only true voice of like the, the proletariat masses. And what that ends up meaning is that you have this situation in which like, there's basically like a couple dozen bureaucrats who are kind of in charge of everything and, and nobody can really 
say anything to them, yeah. you know? And she's like, um, in, in some of this, the stuff that she was writing, she's like, listen, like the, almost like the ethical implications of that aside, um, there are political and strategic implications too, that are like really worrisome, which is literally just that like human beings, we like to chit chat. We're fucking monkeys. We're, we like to chit chat. And the chit chatting is where the generative mm, shit comes from. Yes, you know? yes, yes, yes. And she was just pointing this out and she's like, if you have this like utterly lifeless, um, public sphere that is like completely like dominated top down by a handful of people who, even though they, they might agree with me on, on my ideological, like ideological issues because they're communists, you yeah. know, um, it, it still means that like, there's no kind of like room for this, uh, um, this bubbling of discourse, you know? Yeah. And that means that the, the possibility for people coming up with like cool new solutions to problems is sort of like severely, dampened right yes. she also had like ethical considerations about this too um and rosa luxemburg is known for being one of the most libertarian of the old school communists yeah. right and i'm personally very i'm very into rosa luxemburg in the way that she thought about socialism yeah um but yeah anyways i thought that was like a really interesting exchange you know and it is worth pointing out that there one area in which i strongly disagree with many um communists these days is that like I find many communists also like do not particularly care about freedom as like a concept, you know, and they will use the word freedom in ways that I sort of disagree with. Um, and then they will kind of like scoff at the idea of like freedom of expression uh-huh. as a sort of like bourgeois right that communists don't have to be particularly concerned with. Um, and I'm like, I don't know, man, like I get that it's like uh, as as it exists today, um, freedom of expression is somewhat of a uh um, I don't know. It's like, like I, I understand what they're saying when they say that it's like a bourgeois right, because it's like, I don't own a printing press. I will never be able to own a printing press. I don't own a social media company. I will likely never be able to own a social media company, you know? And therefore like whose freedom of expression like really matters. It mostly it's like these like extraordinarily wealthy capitalists who are able to like do things like own the national post and just pump out these op-eds that are seen by like millions and millions of people in a way that like no, no, like a million people will never see anything that I write, you know? Um, and so I understand that, but at the same time, I'm like, the solution is not to just do away with freedom of freedom of expression and freedom of speech or to pretend like it doesn't matter to pretend like it doesn't matter or to say that it's something that we, we can't be concerned with right now because we're worried about more important things. I'm like, it is one of the more important things, you know, the whole problem and Rosa Luxemburg says this too, you know, the whole problem is that like, um, the, the, the veneer of freedom that we have, you know, sort of conceals this, as she puts it, this kernel of like social injustice, you know? Um, and that social injustice is the fact that like poor and just regular people are not able to access that, that freedom fully, you know? And the whole point is that they should be able to access it fully. I want to like tie a couple things together here because, you know, you know, when we were talking about like the small rebellions, when we were talking about like, yeah, like anarchism and like the idea that like, we can make these small acts and like, it might not be everything, but it still matters. Mm -hmm. Like I want to tie that to the idea of freedom of expression because I think that this idea of just being like, okay, like the rich people own the newspapers. And so like, there is no freedom of expression ignores the, like basically like the underbelly of discourse that has existed. And that in fact now doesn't exist, not because of the fucking newspapers, but because of the fucking left scolding itself and silencing itself constantly because there are many opportunities for people to speak. And it's like, it it certainly doesn't have the same amount of power as like a fucking, you know, newspaper or like the fact that like the, these fucking capitalists own all the media outlets. But like, I think I'm an interesting example of this. 
I basically do run a printing press. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's definitely a DIY one. I don't actually own a printing press. I go to the photocopy store. But, like, I sell, like, as many zines, as many, like, small presses sell books, you know, which is not as much as fucking major newspapers. But I would say that I have a major fucking reach in terms of, like, my audience, you know? Um, And it's, like, that does matter. And it does... It does have an impact on culture and discourse, you right. know? Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you know, we don't have as much power, but that is not to like disavow the power that we do have mm-hmm. or to discourage people from trying to find and use the power that they do have, right? Mm-hmm. And discourse, like I like a lot what you showed me that Rosa Luxemburg was saying about discourse because it's so fucking important to me. And like I recently wrote an article about this called Refusing to Learn um, in Defense of Discourse, which is basically talking about exactly what she was saying, that like we absolutely need people fucking talking to each other and having generative disagreements in order to come up with solutions to the many problems that we face. And silencing that not only like crushes a fundamental part of what it means to be human, but it also keeps us totally stuck from moving forward because the ideas are not going to come from the self-selected few who have, you know, appointed themselves the experts. It's going to come from everybody putting in their best, you know? And sometimes what that means is that some of the things that people are saying are going to be fucking stupid and they're not going to make sense or they're going to be... um, um, things that we profoundly disagree with, you know, yeah. but that's part of the deal. And the, and those are different things, like things not making sense and things that we profoundly disagree with are different things, right? Yeah, also and, that. And yeah. we can, like, just because discourse is happening, like, it, it, that does not mean that it doesn't have any standards, right? right? When we're doing discourse, we should point out when things don't make any sense. We mm-hmm. should demand that people explain themselves clearly and in a way that makes sense. And if it doesn't, we can discount what they're saying, you know? Right. Um, but if if what they're saying does make sense, but we disagree with it for like ethical reasons or moral reasons, then we have to make those arguments as to like why we disagree with it and, and, and make compelling arguments for why we disagree with it, you know? Um, but I would love to see people taking up discourse and like discourse does not actually require that we own the newspapers. Like for as much as it would be great if, if we had fucking, you know, um, cooperative newspapers that were not owned by the capitalist class, I think that it's such a cop-out to be like, because we don't have that, free speech doesn't matter mm-hmm. or doesn't exist. And I'm like, in fact, literally, this is a podcast that we're doing right now. We don't have any fucking funding for this podcast. Yeah. Um, we're making this podcast. You know, we have some fucking Substack subscribers. Thanks, guys. But other than that, we're not fucking paid for this work, but we're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and people have always fucking done that. People have always found ways of communicating, like this pen pal shit that Rosa Luxemburg was doing with London. People have always been finding ways to communicate. And like... You know, you can have a book club. You can do discourse at a book club. You can get together with your friends and discuss these ideas. And through that, you can create, like, generative discourse, and then you can continue to move that outward and upward by, like, fucking posting shit online and, like, writing things and publishing it. And as a socialist, I would not appreciate if uh, some other brand of socialist knocked my door down and told me that I wasn't allowed to have a book club because it was the wrong book. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely insane. (laughs) No, no, thank you. Like, you're not in charge of me. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, you know, social media is like, you know, extremely, extremely, extremely evil. But as somebody who's been doing independent media for decades, it is easier today than it ever has been to do independent media. Yeah. Like Substack, like the fact that like these, these like platforms exist where you can like not only just like publish online, but also that there's like a mass like interest in that and that there's like an audience for it and that people are like willing to go and subscribe to Substacks and that social media for as evil as it is, it does provide a way for us to like promote our work and to like put it out there to like a mass audience in a way that was never possible. Like when I was just doing zines in the mail, you know, 20 years ago, I did not have the reach that I have today because like social media and like the internet did not exist the way that it is. So like it's a double-edged sword. There's many evil aspects to it, but I also don't want us to like discount 
the potential that we have in being able to like reach each other and like spreading discourse. Totally. Totally. There's something I want to say to you about, I'm going to just keep, keep talking about the Soviet union for one second. Like I want to say that I, uh, I, I, I understand where the, the communists in the Soviet union were, were coming from. And I think that like, while I can easily sit here and say that I like disagree with them, I also like to have a nuanced perspective on the Soviet union. Um, and I think that it's something like worth pointing out that um, when they took power in the Soviet Union, it was in the context of like pretty much unimaginable uh, like terror, warfare, starvation, like very, very fucked up conditions. And it was immediately followed by a many years long civil war in which like 10 million people died um, because the forces of capital financed this mm-hmm, civil war, mm-hmm. right? And it was, like, capital from the entire world, right? So, like, the British, the Americans, uh, you know, like, a bunch of different European powers were financing these military forces to go into Russia and try to put down that revolution, mm-hmm. right? And there is... So it's not surprising to me that the people who had, like, managed to triumph through that experience would be like, you are not allowed to continue to try to, like, advance the cause of capitalism in the Soviet Union anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not going to let you do it, you know? I understand that. I really do understand that. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to sit here in Canada in 2023 and sort of, like, pass judgment, whatever. So I, I don't want to be, like, too critical. But I do, like, I do think that Rosa Luxemburg was, like, really she was onto something and she was like a, she was a fellow communist from the same kind of like cohort of communists, you know, who saw what was happening and and had a problem with it. Yeah. It's interesting because, and like, you know, I am not going to pretend like as much as I have really strong feelings about, about freedom. And I'm like pretty intense in my, in my assertion that we don't have the right to override other people's autonomy and we should not do that if we have any option, you know, like when we were discussing like where we draw the line, right? Like yeah. where we draw the line is like calls to violence, calls to genocide. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, where we draw the line is like, it's okay to override other people's autonomy when we are actively trying to prevent them from overriding somebody else's autonomy. And mm-hmm. sometimes this question is very fraught and complex. And like, yeah. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. I'm not going to be like, it's always very simple and it's always very clear. I think sometimes it is very simple and very clear and other times it's more complex. And I do think that there can be a case to be made like in when we're saying like we we the one place where we draw the line is like calls to violence i could see why the soviet union would position pro capitalist speech as that yeah you know cuz it had literally just been like part of this enormous violent uprising right? and also right now still capitalism is a fucking profoundly violent mm-hmm. um like system yeah. that kills people yeah. you know and so like it's it's like, where do you, like, how do we define genocidal speech, right? Yeah, totally. Because it's like capitalism, it literally uses people as resources and, and fucking leaves them to die, you know? And so, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it does get complicated in that area of being like, you know, if you're pro-capitalist, you're also pro, like, mass domination. And in many cases, like, exploitation that leads to death. Yeah, totally. And so, yeah, in the 1920s in the Soviet Union, I can definitely understand why Leninists were sort of being like, okay, like, you want to bring back the Tsar? Like, no, you know, like, there's, we're not going to let that happen. Um, that being said, um, it's 100 years later. Yeah. Um, and I'm in, I'm in Canada. Yeah. And I think that socialists in North America um, should not be, you know, on this kick of like freedom of speech is not important and we don't care about it. You know? Yeah. 
I think that, and honestly, when you press them on it, like they'll usually be like, well, you know, that's not really what we mean, blah, 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 you know? But I'm like, it's a fuck, it's terrible messaging, man. It's terrible messaging. Yeah, people don't like it. Like socialists should be like, we love freedom of speech. Dude, freedom of speech is like one of the most important values that people hold in North America. Like everybody thinks that it's a good thing, you know? Um, And so like, you really should be like, we fucking love freedom of speech. The thing is that capitalists don't want you to have it, you know? Because that is like so much, it's such such a better way to, to do it. And we should be like, yeah, like as socialists, we want to make it so that like, um, the ideas of regular working class people um, have just as much of a chance of being seen by other totally. people as if you were some rich fucking Nepo baby, you know? Yeah, because, yeah, like, the the fact that they own the media means that we don't have free speech. Yeah, and, and like, so... maybe the perspectives of normal people should be as important as the perspectives of the bourgeoisie, you know what I yeah. mean? And, like, this is something that, like, many more people would be able to get behind. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so, yeah, freedom good, I think. Yeah, I, I would say yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think one more thing about freedom of speech is, like, you know, what is the enforcer, you know, for taking away freedom of speech? Mm. And sometimes that's the case of, like, there's actually, like, laws that that don't allow you to speak about certain things. Um, In some cases, it's through capitalism. Like, there's – it's difficult to actually speak when you are – you don't have a a platform to speak from, you know? So capitalism owns the media that prevents people from having the level of free speech that they should enjoy. But there's also – a way in which free speech is eroded through um, basically like social pressure um, and cancel culture shit. Yeah. And so like this is interesting because it's like the power that is enacting this and enforcing it is not the state and it is not capitalist. Mm-hmm. It's each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually a very effective form of power. And I think that like, um, you know, people... I think are very confused about like what censorship actually is, you know, because people always get mad at me and say that I'm censoring them because I don't have open comments, but I'm like in my, on my Instagram, but I'm like, I'm actively not like trying to prevent you from speaking. I just don't have open comments. So you're not able to speak here, but like you're able to speak. And like, I would never like, you know, like start a harassment campaign against the many people who freely speak their mind about me all the fucking time. You know, like people are constantly saying what they think about me and I do not attack them, slander them, stalk them, dox them, like try to end their lives, try to end their careers, send my fans after them or anything like that. Slash their tires. Slash their tires, pour shit on their car. (laughs) You know, I don't do any of those things, even though what they're saying is often not only horrible, but also literally inciting violence against me, you know? Um, And so... Yeah, I'm like, if we hold the value of freedom and, like, freedom of speech and and free discourse, um, then, like, we need to find a different way to respond to ideas that we don't agree with than simply trying to silence them, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, the way that cancel culture works is is such an enactment of censorship, you know? And, like, I am so annoyed because I am literally, I know that I am a fucking important political thinker on the left who is contributing important ideas to discourse, and yet I'm fucking blacklisted from so many, like spaces like literal spaces like uh zine fairs and like bookstores and like places where i could potentially share my ideas and in which actually the majority of fucking people want me there you know like it's crazy because it's like these people who position themselves as the authority to blacklist me do not speak for the people right because actually i have tons of fucking people who want me there mm-hmm. who are part of that community who are like i actually would like to have clementine here because i like her ideas yeah. but those who put themselves in charge speak for everybody else and say no clementine's not welcome here because her ideas are harmful right. you know and so once again it's like you know 
that authority, like I often think that like people, when they are justifying their authority, when they're giving like claims to the legitimacy of their authority, they will claim that they speak for the people. Yeah, yeah. And they will claim that like this is actually an expression of the will of the people. And cancel culture does that all the time. Yeah. But I'm like, no, it is not actually an expression of the will of the people because if it was, you wouldn't have to coerce people into agreeing with you. <laughs> That's it. Like you coerce people <laughs> into agreeing with you. If 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 it was not a social crime to fucking be a fan of Clementine Morgan, I would certainly have significantly more support for my career than I currently do. Well, that's it, man. Yo, if you, if you like don't want somebody to be able to have like an event, you know, and your justification is that like the people like don't want them there, like you wouldn't have to do anything. Exactly. Because the event there would be happen. no event there would be nobody there. people <laughs> wouldn't want to go. Yeah. Exactly. So if you have to stop the event by like threatening them, like protesting it, like whatever, you're not speaking for the people. You're speaking for yourself and like maybe some other people, but there's obviously people who do want the event to happen. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe a different approach would be to sincerely engage with the ideas that you disagree with and to make a coherent argument for why you think they're wrong. Yeah, man. Which you're free to do, and I will not be slashing your tires over it. Yeah, totally. And, like, maybe you should take a second to think about freedom. Yeah. And whether you actually support it or not. And maybe you don't. And maybe you don't. But maybe you should get honest about that. Yeah, maybe you should stop calling yourself an anarchist. <laughs> you should definitely stop calling yourself <laughs> an anarchist. It's literally the worst situation because I'm like, wow. Like, where, how do we get here yeah. where it's, like, literally people calling themselves anarchists who are, like, book burning and, like, fucking, like, trying to, like, silence people, censor people, like, shut down events, shut down Attacking dissident the thoughts. anarchist book fair. Like, literally. I'm, like, please, for the love of God, guys. Like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, come up with your own name for what you are. Cause, yeah. Because, you know. Like, yeah. you love power and yeah. domination. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's not anarchist. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I feel like that's probably a good a good place to end. Yeah. Um, thanks for being with us on this journey of freedom. And uh, we will see you next time. See you next time, guys. Bye-bye.